I want to read this passage, and I want to jump into it. Uh, hopefully you found it by now. Um, we've had a busy time, had a great trip. I thank you for those of you who were like, uh, were you gone? <laughs> it's like, no, I was never gone. I was here the whole time. But last week we weren't able to meet together because of a slick parking lot and the hill and things like that. And uh, Seth led a, a devotion online. I appreciate him doing that. Um, but it's good to be home. Uh, we got caught in a blizzard on the way out there. So if you were praying, thank you. Um, you know, there was a little time there that the farthest you could see in front of your car was like your windshield wiper. And I'm just glad everybody stopped when it got like that. I'd not been in snow with 70 mile an hour, 65, 70 mile an hour wind around here. You know, if we're having 60, 70 mile an hour wind, we're about to have a tornado or something. But it was total whiteout. We were, all, we were able, almost to a town. We were able to get there. And we, we lost today because we stayed. But boy, was I glad to get there. There was like big trucks for nearly a mile out of town that in, abandoned their trucks. And they were running Jeeps in and bringing people in. And so, you know, the next day they got the roads clear. The wind died. Sun come out. But it took a while to get everybody back to their vehicles and get going, uh, but it could have been a lot, a lot worse, All right? Had a good time. I'm walking. Didn't hurt anything. Skiing, so we're good. Amen? Doing good. Then get back home for a day. We had the marriage conference this weekend, and... Um, Clarissa's praying that I haven't like moved on and forgotten all that stuff. That we, it was so good. But I want to encourage all you couples, you need tune-ups. You might say, well, I've done this before. I've done it. I, we constantly need a tune-up, right? Uh, you know, it's just, like, uh, it's just like exercising or anything else. You've you, you, you got to stay in shape. You don't just get there. But it was really good. We had like uh, 12 or so, about six couples from our church. And uh, it was intense. It was wonderful. Amen, you guys. It was, it was great. Uh, my ribs are sore, but anyway, that's another, another deal. Had a, had a great time. Um, and um, I, uh, we're going to have prayer at the end, but uh, uh, remember to pray for uh, the abbots. James uh, texted me this morning, and Lenora was on, in a wreck on her way to work and ran off the road, and he sent me a picture of the car. It looks really bad, but um, uh, no broken bones or anything. She's okay, so we're praising God for that, but did total the car again. But anyway, all right. Isaiah, we'll come back to some prayer requests later. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, read this with me, all right? Have you got your Bible ready? Are you looking at it? Okay, I'm going to read in the English Standard Version, ESV. You read along, whatever you have there, but just so you know that. Here we go. It's a very familiar passage. I want to draw some things out about seeking spiritual renewal. Does anybody remember kind of what our word of emphasis has been this year? Even though I said I wasn't going to do one this year, I did. And do you remember what it is? Yeah, that's right. Availability. Being available. All right. Think about that as we go through this in Isaiah being available uh, to the Lord. So it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, or sitting, lifted upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, listen, your guilt is taken away. I just need to pause and think about that. Your guilt, not just your sin, you're not guilty. Hallelujah. And he says, and your sin atoned for. It means it's covered. Think about Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about how regularly we, we, we share communion here. We're remembering that price. And then verse 8 it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, God wants all people to be reconciled to him. And Second Peter tells us that God is not, winning, is not willing or is not desirous that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and turn back to him. But because he wants it to be a love relationship, he doesn't force us to do that. He doesn't program us to do that. We have an ability to receive or reject. He gave that to us. It operates under the, under the realm of his sovereignty because we're so lost, we actually can't even seek him unless he draws us, right? It, it, it's beyond my ability to understand just exactly how all of this works. But I do know God is sovereign, and I do know that I have responsibilities, that I make decisions, and I'm accountable for my decisions. But for God's part, he would like for everyone to come to him, and he's made that possible through Christ. But he wants us to be reconciled to him. He wants us to know him. To know him. There's got to be a desire to know him. To know the real and true God. There are a lot of people out there saying, well, I just don't understand this about it. I don't understand that about God. I, don't, I can't you know, get my whatever. Have you sought to know him? I mean, they have all these ideas and all these opinions about God, but they've never put any time at all into knowing the God of the Bible. I mean, it's amazing how many opinions they have about it, but they've never researched. They've never gotten into God's word. If, if I'm going to know him, I've got, to, I've got to go where I can find out. This is where he has revealed. This is the revelation. God has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. We wouldn't know any of this unless he revealed it. We couldn't attain to it. We can't search it out. You can't search it out and find it. It's too high. The only way we know it is because he reveals it. And he reveals it through his word. It's written down in his word, inspired by God the Spirit, and fleshed out here in real time on planet Earth by God the Son. Powerful stuff. So we, he wants us to be reconciled to him, to know him. And when you know him, you love him. Because he first loved you. And because you love him, you want to worship him. The worship flows out of that knowledge and that love relationship. In, in fact, the Bible tells us this is, you want to know, what's my great purpose? I wish I knew my purpose in life. Okay, buckle in. Right here we go. The purpose of our existence. To know, love, worship, and serve God. It's that simple. 
That is it. He's the creator, the owner of everything. And if that's the, if that's the truth, he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. It wasn't just some cosmic accident. Then I'm dependent on him. This sphere, this globe, this ball that we live on called planet Earth is hanging in space and it's orbiting around a really big star that we call the sun. It's tilted a certain degree on its axis. It rotates at a certain speed, gives us gravity in our days. If any of that was one tiny bit different, life on earth couldn't exist as we know it. Water couldn't exist in its three forms of a solid liquid and gas like it does here on our planet. We, we couldn't live, okay? And so God is sustaining all of these things. And then there's each breath I take in the beat of my heart. So the thing about it is you might think, well, I'm doing my own thing. I'm living my life. I'm not having any thought toward God. I want to live life my way. You don't realize how at any moment God could require your soul of you. You are dependent on it. You think, well, I don't have time for God because of this. You know, he could stop time for you just like that. And so we should want to know him. So this is the purpose of our life. If you know him, you need to know him. The first thing is to know him. You have doubts. You have confusion. You've been given bad information. That may be true. But you owe it to yourself at least one time in your life to seek out the truth, to see what's right, to get into the word. It's the most valuable thing you can do with your time. To know him. And if you really get to know him, you find out who he is, as Isaiah is going to see here. And you love him because he first loved you. And out of that love relationship that he went to a lot of trouble and paid an incredible price for us to have flows our worship. And from our worship flows our service. This right here, our ultimate purpose to know the God who created us. To love him. To worship him. And involved in worship is glorifying him. Involved in all of this is glorifying him. And then flowing out of that, we serve him because of who he is. So the plan for your life is this, should be this, that I might continue to know him deeper, more personally and intimately. That I would continue. And because God is infinite, there's no end to it. So I never reach the point that I've got it all. And so, see, it never gets old. It never gets boring. We should never get tired. I see these seraphim flying around and the throne, and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and they never get tired of it. It's not boring to them. They just can't say it enough. They're so consumed by who he is, they're, they're consumed, but they're on fire. By the word, the word seraphim that's used here, it doesn't specifically call them angels. It calls them seraphim. And the Hebrew word literally means to be burning. They're fiery. I mean, this is the best way Isaiah can describe what he saw. Is they were like fiery. They were radiant. And they keep saying, holy, 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 three times holy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He uses the plural when he says, who will go for us? You see that that's coming out right there. It blows my mind and it just fills my heart of who he is. That his, this God, that Isaiah got a glimpse of, that this God not only created the universe, not only is the judge, but is also the Savior, 
watch it, but also wants to live, his, his presence, live inside of me. Now, how can I have the presence of God Almighty living inside me and something not be changed? Hmm? Uh, so that's the question then. Are you seeking this? Are you available? You say, well, I just don't know this. Are you available? Because Isaiah was available. Now, Isaiah is living in a time when the whole nation is forgetting about God. Kind of like what we are. The whole nation is turning its back on God. And the Lord's going to use Isaiah to try to speak truth to them. But he tells them ahead of time, once after he even said, Here am I, Lord, send me. I'll go. Hey, there, there evidently was no one else there. Uh, I'm here. I'll go. Um, and then he said, go to this people. And here's what I want you to tell them. Uh, that they're going to keep on hearing, but they're not going to understand. They're going to keep on seeing. Do you see that down there in uh, verse 9 and 10 and 11? You know, that, that they, they see, but they're not going to perceive. Uh, make, this, make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy. Why is this? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But this is what's going on in the background of Isaiah's story. So a lot of people are not worshiping God, but Isaiah is. Now, did this happen in the actual temple there in Jerusalem? And, and, and it could have. He could have been in the temple. Or when it says that his, the train of his robe filled up the temple, was he seeing like John saw into heaven? Which the, 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 the temple on earth is just like a pattern of, of that. Was that what he was talking I don't know. It could have been both. But I couldn't help but think about stuff like this when we had the incredible privilege that we didn't deserve, but we had the privilege of actually visiting the Temple Mount and standing on the Temple Mount. Now, the Mosque of Omar is there, and there's another mosque, and, but, but somewhere in this flat area up here was Solomon's Temple, which is where this happened. And then later Zerubbabel, and then Herod's remodel, all that. It was somewhere, right? It was right here. This was really where it was. Could it have been that, that Isaiah was, was in, I don't know, I just get, you know. I visit even Civil War battlefields and I'm like, you know, right outside, right, right in town here, in fact. Man, there was stuff going on right here one day. What separates me from that is just time, right? You ever think about that? Uh, but, but I stood there and I thought about Isaiah walked right here in these, this, this place, you know. It may not be the exact same dirt. It may have been buried and moved and covered over and paved over. Who knows? But it's this, you know, it's this, it's this um, coordinates, okay, what I'm saying on the, on the globe. Powerful. This really happened, and he saw this. But now let's see what happened. He looked up. So he was available. Every, a lot of other people are not worshiping God, but he just kept doing what he should be doing. Are you going to do just what everybody else does? If everybody else jumps off a cliff, right? you know what I'm saying? Are we going to be committed that I'm going to keep worshiping God no matter what happens around me, whether I understand it, whether I like it, whether things are easy or whether things are hard? Sometimes when things are easy, it's, it, it, we, it's harder to worship God because we don't feel the need for him. But I'm going to worship the Lord. So he was what? Available. He was there. Why did God pick Isaiah? Because Isaiah was available as part of it. But notice he sees him on his throne, high and lifted up. So the first thing I want to do is the up look. And that's what we need to start off to have a renewal is an up look, looking up. He was in the house of God. What Isaiah was doing, what was he doing? He was worshiping God. 
That's what he was doing. There's your answer. He was worshiping God. Maybe it was just a normal time of worship. Just like today, you're like, oh man, it's cold, I don't want to get out, and all of this, you know, and I pray he's probably going to say some of the same jokes he's told before. I don't know what you may have been thinking, but you know, you're just doing the normal thing, but your heart, you're worshiping God. It's at times like that, that there might be something amazing happen. Okay, so he was worshiping. While the rest of the nation, they were indulging in sin, they missed out. But if you love him, you want to worship him. If you know him, you love him. And if you love him, you want to worship him. You want to sing with brothers and sisters. You want to just, however you express yourself, we're all made a little different. You want to express yourself and your love to God. You want to sing to him. And you say, well, I'm not a very good singer. I don't want anybody to hear me. God wants to hear you. You know, that's why I don't care how good it is. I'm just going to sing it because God wants to hear it. I'm not singing for y'all, right? We're singing for the Lord. He wants to hear it. Your voice is like, do you know they say that? That everybody's voice is unique, you know, even when people can impersonate other people, right? That, that they can put it on that, that graph and look at the, the, the wavelengths of the voice. and they, your, your voice is unique, just like your fingerprint. And God wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your worship and your singing, to sing to him, to hear his word proclaimed and taught, to gather with his people. We ought to have a yearning in our heart for that. That's why it's so important to be connected to a local body of believers. And like next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about that connection. That's what that, that class is really all about, is about connecting, about, about God's design there, and just kind of give that information. And you, and you see that th- this is what I needed, not just to pop in and out, but, but to connect and be a part of a local body. I need that because I love God. And, 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 and there is no perfect congregation, by the way, right? If you find one and you, you connect to it, you'll mess it up because you're not perfect, right? But it's just like family. It's just like marriage. It's messy. But the ones who are willing to put in the work and love and do the stuff he said and forgive and, and, and help each other and build each other up, not tear each other down. Don't gossip about each other, but build each other up. Work through your problems. Overcome. Let God bring victory where you thought there was no possibility. This is where uh, it's ama- and, and the impact that has on the world around us is, is incredible. It's incredible when they see us go through junk and come out on the other side glorifying God with lives changed. That's what happens. You know, not just how many cars are out here or just how good this is or that is. It's just they see our lives out there in the community and they see things that they can't explain. So you got to have it as a priority. It's got to be a priority, folks. And I can see that in Isaiah's life because of what we know about him from all of Scripture. Priority, it has to become, it has to be something that you make a point to make a priority. If I'm going to know God, I've got to look up. I've got to look up to him. I've got to know him. I've got to seek him. It's not going to just happen. All our seeking and worshiping God. Many of our priorities are wrong. We just don't have time for God. We don't have time. Um, we, We don't feel like we have anything to give him. Anyway, He's the one that gives us everything, every breath, every beat of the heart, as we always say. He's the one that gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. And we don't have time for him? What if God said, I don't have time to give you your next breath? I don't know how we can be so busy we have no time for God. Because I, I, I know this is the way in my life. I pretty much will find time to do things that I really want to do. And there are some things we need to do whether we really are in the mood for it or not. 
I don't know how many times, even with exercise, I just feel like, you know, coming for lunch, I would rather just take a nap, eat a sandwich, and take a nap. And sometimes I do. But just get out there and go, just don't think about it, just go do it, because, and I feel better immediately. But just like some of the times, you know, hey, if you're sick, contagious, something, stay home, live stream, okay? But the thing is, is there may be times that the devil is battling you and, and, and trying to discourage you, and you don't feel like you don't, you're in a bad mood, you don't want to go to church. Maybe, you know, you and the family have been fussing and arguing, it always happens on Sunday morning, and, and, and you just don't know how are in the mood. Those are probably the times you need to put forth more effort, and you need to be here the most, it really is. And that's the time when you'd be like, wow, uh, God's going to really break through because Satan was trying to hinder you for some reason. I know, especially if you've got kids, because, you know, we went through a lot of years right here at this church uh, with, with four little, you know, and their guys are grown now, but uh, and Seth's in there, and then, you know. But, um, I mean, if they were going to poop themselves or throw up or spit up on themselves, they never did it, Clarissa, before you got, we got them dressed. You know, I tried to help some before I came up, but, but I would just take the boys and go, she would say. Get the boys, you take them and go and get them out of here. But, but um, they would never do something like that until you, right? Am I, am I on to something here? Yeah, it's, 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 that's how that works. Is it like, why couldn't you have just thrown up on yourself a minute earlier, right? It would have been simpler. Okay, uh, so... Uh, but this is how it is. It's got to become a priority. You've got to be committed to this, to seek God, to know him, to worship him. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing that is so powerful in our lives. Um, sometimes we treat God worse than we treat our jobs. Think about it. I mean, we, we'll get there. We'll, we'll be there. We'll, we'll, but with the Lord, not so much. And here's the other thing that I find takes all of us. I start with this, uh, is the urgent takes the place of the important in our lives. I feel like I struggle with that, that there are so many urgent things and things you got to do now, things need your attention right now, that I don't get to the things that are actually more important. God help us in this year ahead to evaluate that and think about keeping the important in a better priority than just the urgent. Uh, but he saw him. How did he see him? He says, he was sitting on a throne high and lifted up. He, we must see him as he is. He saw God as he is high and lifted up on the throne of the universe. That's what I need. That's the uplook. I need to see God as he truly is. Too many people, like I said, form their own opinion about God. Or they want to make God in their own image. Or they want to put God in their own box. Well, I think God is this way. Well, the only way I have a right to think of God is how he has revealed himself right here. So all my opinions and all your thoughts about what God is like and who God is, it means nothing unless it comes from right here and is a properly understood and applied. See? Uh, but he saw him as he truly is. And I want to tell you, there's no way you can begin to see God and get a glimpse in your spirit of God as he really is without being overwhelmed and overawed and want to bow before him and worship him. I keep remembering the story that D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody was not an emotional, like a Pentecostal type or anything, but talks about praying and one time in prayer. It didn't happen every time, but one time in prayer that the power of God and the presence of God got so strong and so powerful and so real that he buried his face in the ground and he got down and he covered his head and he held up his hand. He said, stop, God. 
If you come any closer, it'll kill me. The power of God was so overwhelming. He said, I don't think I can take it. It's so awesome, but Lord, I can't take it. You're too awesome. How long has it been since we had a prayer like that? You can't manufacture it yourself. But those times in worship that are kind of an Isaiah time here. The presence and the power of God gets so strong and so powerful and so real. He saw him glorious and holy. That means holy. The word means separate. Nothing like God. Nothing at all. We've got to see him as he really is. Now he says that he saw the Lord. It's interesting here that Isaiah didn't use the personal name for God or the covenant name, Jehovah or Yahweh. Actually, we don't know how it's said because it was so holy that the writers would never write uh, the name. They abbreviate it. They just put some capitals in there. We fill in and come up with Yahweh or Jehovah either way. But, but he didn't use that. He didn't use that. He didn't use the, that, that, as some may say, personal name. Because he, when he saw the Lord, he didn't see the essence no man or woman has seen that. You know, when the Bible says no one could see God and live, he didn't see that. But he saw his glory. It uses the word Adonai, is actually the word that he uses here. And Adonai reflects on God's glory and God's dominion. That's what he saw. In fact, I want to throw something out there. He saw the glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, John, writing his gospel, actually tells us that. In John chapter 12, and I'm going to put this up there, but I'm going to, I'm going to turn there in my Bible because I want to, I want to read the verse before, uh, verse, uh, verse, 30, uh, verse um, 36. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So he's talking about Jesus. Who's the subject of this talk? Jesus. Then he says, though he had done... So many signs before them, they still did not believe him. Think about all the signs and things Jesus had done. Things they'd seen they'd never seen, no one had ever seen. The things they heard that no one had ever heard before. They still didn't believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And that's right after the text that I read out loud this morning in chapter 6. Uh, actually, this is later on, but then we'll, he does quote that. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, to whom uh, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then it says, therefore they, and you see, I kind of highlighted that, they could not believe. And then he quotes the part that is from our text, and I'll, I'll turn to it. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has, and this is, Right there in Isaiah 6. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I want to stop right there for a moment. They would not believe. They would not believe. And they would not believe until he says in verse 39, they could not believe. They had ears, but they would not hear it. They had eyes, but they would not receive it. And they got to a point that they could not. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand what this prophecy is about? It's like, well, that's not fair. The Lord gave my eyes, but wouldn't let them see. It ears where they, it, it, no, 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 no. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to see. And you do that to a point till then you can't hear and you can't see and you can't believe. Your heart gets that hard. But then he says in verse 41, Isaiah said these things. We read them. 
because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who's John talking about here? Jesus. That Jesus went and departed and hid himself from the crowd. That Jesus had done all these things. And then he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah spoke about Jesus right here. Now, are you thinking about your Savior? The same one who hung, beaten beyond recognition, didn't even hardly look human, hanging on a cross for your sin, is the same one that's high and lifted up, and his glory fills the earth. That's who we're talking about here. And John wants us to know that's who he's saying. And he says in verse 42, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, uh, believed... um, Even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's what John said. And he's talking about his glory. He's talking about Jesus here. That's the glory that Isaiah saw. And isn't it sad that even some of the leaders who heard Jesus and kind of believed him, that they were afraid to be public about it because they wanted the temporary, puny glory of mankind more than that. I want to I be with the Lord there. Think about how we do that. Think about how we want the, the perishing, silly things of earth more than we want that. This is what he's trying to point out to us. To see, we need to uplook to see how holy and how awesome God is. And when we see this, we're not going to be so, so likely to run haphazardly into worship. and We're going to put our hearts in it. That's why... At least one Sunday a month we try to pause and we share communion together because he said, do this to remember me. And you think about it. I want to give you a tool so that it triggers your mind and your senses to think about what I did for you and the cost involved in you being able to come worship. Now, so if God is okay with me just doing whatever I want and living any way I please, then explain Jesus hanging on the cross. Explain this glorious one hanging on the cross, beaten and battered beyond recognition because of my sin. My sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to him, and he wants to transform my life and your life. So here's the thing, is that we, 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 we can become so preoccupied with other things that we cannot realize his presence. His presence is here. We don't have to talk God into show. You know, sometimes we say that. We say, well, the Lord really showed up and showed out, right? God always shows up. Sometimes we don't show up. Even when we show up, we don't open up. God is always here. We don't have to conjure him up like some spirit like that. He's always here. What needs to happen is we need to tune us in. I always point that out, but that's the thing. So when we're going through praying through, that's what that is. It's us getting through us. Getting through our layers and opening ourselves up. Making our whole heart available to him. That's when it happens. And the uplook requires total availability, total openness, and submission. It requires that we be in awe and in reverence to Him. Because what does not awe you, frankly, you will not worship. That's why a lot of people don't worship God. They've never known Him. Maybe never been saved by Him. Or perhaps they're too awed by the perishing things of this world. So busy prancing through their Christian lives that we're doing our own thing. And we don't see God in all of it. Where was everybody else when this was going on with Isaiah? I don't know, but they missed out. So, all right, I want to spend most time on that two more things quickly. After the uplook, then 
I see God as he really is. I can see me as I really am. That's the next, the uplook, then the inlook. What was it Isaiah's response back over in Isaiah 6 when he saw God and his holiness and his power and the seraphim? He said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm not right. Isn't that how you feel? Yeah, and I just feel like I need to back off God because I'm too unclean. I don't know if this meant Isaiah had a problem with profanity. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I had a terrible problem with it. I mean, I've always been very verbal. And um, mom and dad wouldn't even know where am I getting these words and saying them. And I can remember knowing I was getting trouble and saying words I knew I shouldn't say because the big boys would laugh when I did it. And I always had that urge to entertain people, I guess, even at great cost. But, but God works in mysterious ways. Mom said one time she was uh, working in the corn, and the corn was grown up where they couldn't see him. And my, my brother Mitch and my cousin Tim Bomer were walking up the hill from me, Mom, and Papa's, and she, she, they didn't know she was there. And they, she, she found out right quick where I was getting those words, listening to them boys talk. Yeah, see, they would put me up. Anyway, that's a whole deal. Uh, but I don't know what Isaiah's problem was here, whether it was just profanity or he just knew that he was not qualified of himself to speak God's word to anyone, but but this symbolic thing happened. It actually happened, but it's symbolic for us that the angel touched him uh, with that coal, and it's like that must have been like scary. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if a seraphim who's a burning one, uh, if if he takes if he takes tongs to get the coal, then and he's like a a, a flaming one. It's got to be. And then he's like, oh, he's going to touch my lips, but but it didn't hurt, you know. But it was it was teaching him something that God has purged you, and He's atoned, He's covered you. Your guilt, not just your sin, but your guilt is gone. And that's what he tells all of us. And it's because of Jesus Christ. This was foreshadowing that atonement that he's bringing to us. Uh, But he immediately sees God as he is and he sees himself. And so there's one thing that happens. When I see myself as I really am in light of who he is, there's one thing. I humble myself. Humility. And that's what James says in James chapter 4 verse 8. He said, draw near to God. That's the uplook. He will draw near to you. If you feel far from God, God didn't move, it's you. You need to draw near. Cleanse your hands. So then the first thing that happens, I realize how I need to be cleansed. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Quit doubting. And I want to I be pure. I want to be holy. In verse 10, he says, humble yourselves. There it is. That's what you do. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord or before the Lord. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Quit trying to lift yourself up. You just humble yourself in God's sight. He will lift you up. When God lifts you up, can't nobody put you down. But when I see him as he is and I look in my own heart, I want to draw near uh, because there's nowhere else to go. And when I know he's going to help cleanse me, that's powerful. I want to get straightened out, right? It's like one guy that... uh, a pastor visited him, kept inviting him to church, invited him to church. He said, well, you know, I know I need to come to church. I need to come to church, but I need to get some things straightened out. I need to get straightened out. I need to get straightened out. And all this. <sighs> See him again at a ball game or something. Hey, man, life you come to oh, I know. I know I need to be there. I just need to get some things straightened out. I need to get straightened out. Then the guy dropped dead with a heart attack. And they asked this preacher to do the funeral. They rolled him in there, and the pastor said, well, they, they used the church. And he said, he told me he'd be here once he got straightened out, and he's straightened out now. Don't wait. Don't be confused. 
It was that same funeral home, by the way. They were talking about being confused. There was this drunk, and the man, he was drunk and just out of his mind. He's about to pass out. He stumbles into the funeral home, and they had caskets on display, kind of leaned up there, and he stumbled, and he fell into a casket and passed out. And uh, he slept there, slept it off. He woke up the next morning. He's blinking, looking around, and confused. And he's like, Am I alive or am I dead? Am I dead? Well, if I'm alive, why am I in this casket? And if I'm dead, why do I have to pee so bad? So, you know, confusion. We want to get it straight here, right? And the only way I can get things straightened out here is to see him as he is so I can see myself as I really am. And then, and only then, am I ready for the last thing. And that's the outlook. Because the next thing is, who will go? Who will go? And he said, here I am, send me. He saw the need. Isaiah now viewed the world differently because he began to see the world from God's perspective instead of his own. My perspective is I can get pretty ticked off. I can get pretty disgusted. You know what, Lord, you, I, you just need to come back here and, 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 and show folks, right? What I'm saying? But, but that's not God's perspective. God wants people to be saved. God wants people to come to him. And some of the worst sinners out there and some of the most vile people and, and, and you know, some of the biggest enemies could be the next Paul. You just don't know. Isaiah's heart was now burdened for what burdened God. There's a missionary, Susie Hobart. She uh, was wanting to instill in her children a burden for their lost friends. She did a good job. She tells a story uh, one day of, of uh, uh, 10-year-old Ryan and his little friend uh, uh, was driving um, Isabel. They were driving and playing with little matchbox cars and things like that. And uh, after a while, they were out there playing. And after a little while, he came running to the house. He said, Mom, you got to come quick. Isabel wants to accept Jesus into her heart. And so she's like, what? And um, so why all of a sudden? And she went out there and, and uh, said, Ryan, I thought you guys were playing uh, race cars. He said, we were, Mom, but you wouldn't believe our cars wrecked. And I asked Isabel if she died, if she was ready to meet Jesus, if she was ready to go to heaven. And she said she didn't know, and she wanted to know Jesus. So, Mom, and you know what I'm saying? That's a true story she told. Uh, you just never know the points of life when God can open the door that we see a burden for lost people all around us. Their lostness should not surprise us because they don't know the Lord. Curtis always reminds us you can expect lost people to live like lost people until the Lord changes them and, and you need to give God the opportunity to work in their life just like he does ours. Okay, let's wrap it up. Uh, what should we learn? Before we can have the proper outlook, well, we've got to have the right inlook and humble ourselves, right? And before I can have the right inlook, I've got to have the right uplook and see God as he really is. It's all laid out right here. I've got to seek and man, prioritize to know and worship Him. And when we do, we will want to please and want to serve Him. We're excited about that. We want to make ourselves available to Him. And it will not be a duty. It will be a passion. There's an old hymn that goes like this. It's by Charles C. Luther. Must I go in empty-handed? Written hundreds of years ago. And it convicts me. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet? Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet? Not at death I shrink nor falter, for my Savior saves me now. 
but to meet him empty-handed, thought of that now clouds my brow. Oh, the years in sinning wasted, could I but recall them now. I would give them to my Savior, to his will I'd gladly bow. Oh, ye saints, arouse, be earnest, up and work while yet tis day, ere the night of death overtake thee. Strive for souls while still you may. I don't want to stand before him empty-handed.